Episode 48 of the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Today we're talking about street crimes in Chicago. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown. A podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals. Stand by. Where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. And we're back with the Tactical Breakdown podcast. This is episode 48. If you're brand new here, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. This is the podcast if you're a law enforcement instructor. Or if you are just a general officer in law enforcement or you're looking to get some more information, this is also going to be the place to be for you. So make sure to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player so you get up-to-date information on all the newest episodes and all of the updates and training that we're going to be having coming down the pipe. My guest on today's show is Mr. Pat McCarthy. Pat was an instructor on the ILET Summit. We talked about street crimes then. We're going to talk even more about it now. This man's experience is amazing. He came from Chicago. He worked with federal task forces. He worked undercover. He worked the street. He worked gangs and narcotics. The amount of knowledge that this man has about working the street is fantastic. And hopefully some of this information can transfer directly to you in your day to day on the beat in your investigations. And um, I'm really hoping you guys are going to pull a lot from this episode. So uh, thank you to Pat for joining me here. And uh, let's just jump right into this episode with Pat McCarthy and get into it. Here we go. All right, Pat, thanks so much for taking the time and joining me on the uh, podcast today, man. I'm excited to finally have you on the show. Adam, it's a pleasure to be with you today. We were just discussing it right before we hit record here. We were talking about how policing and, and the world is changing. And obviously in the midst of all the stuff happening with COVID-19 and a lot of the political stuff that's happening as well, police officers and law enforcement and, and first responders in general are, are facing challenges that they've never faced before. And I know one of the things that you're passionate about talking about is different standards that officers face nowadays, whether it be a personal standard, uh, organizational standard, a societal standard, you know, what happens, what comes out in the media, where do law enforcement officers have to draw the line? You know, where do they draw the line? Where does their department draw the line? So, I mean, there's so many things to unpack with this. And, and just to kind of continue with what we were talking about, there's the world's changing. And, you know, with COVID coming out and, and all these things, I mean, it's difficult right now for, for officers to, to figure out what the right thing to do is when, when we have all these people in this mass panic. Um, which is kind of unprecedented since, I mean, I guess the, the last closest thing to this event would have been 9-11 in, in, in my recollection. So what, what are your thoughts? Well, it's, it's the typical uh, situation that officers find themselves in. They're always going into the unknown. And uh, almost every call they go on, they don't really realize what is going to be, or they don't have uh, the knowledge or uh, privy to have uh, access to what's going to happen. It unfolds right in front of them and how they react, how they respond is going to be, you know, something that uh, they're going to be judged by maybe many, many months later. We're uh, today with video recordings and uh, cops wearing uh, body cams. Uh, you know, they're going to be 
everything they do. And I tell my son, my son's a police officer in Chicago, has been for 10 years, works in the narcotics unit. I tell them every day you're out there today. And I tell all police officers that come to my training, you have to assume you're being videotaped and audio taped and everything that you do. And there's no other profession that kind of has that, uh, type of scrutiny, that type of uh, oversight that police officers have. So you really have to be on your game at all times. And it's really, that's that's a big stress for police officers because you're going into situations where it might be a bar fight. And then, you know, uh, three hours later, you're standing in an alley waiting for some burglar to try to break and run on you when you guys you and your fellow officers got the building surrounded. I mean, there's so many different aspects. It's so hard to like nail it down to one thing, but what if I could capsulize it a little bit, always assume you're being videotaped for officers today. Always assume you're being audio taped and act accordingly. Don't ever do anything that you can't stand having repeated in open court. If you're going to judge your character and what you do out on the street you better be thinking about what would I one reasonable person think about what I did? What would a reasonable fellow officer think what I did? Did I go over the line? Did I, I don't know, uh, you know, I handle myself properly or did I lose my temper a little bit more than I should have? Those are all things that cops face constantly and it's not stopping it. That's part of the changes, but that's, that's been police work really forever. It's just a matter of the uh, the uh, severity of what the cat, what police officers have to deal with at the time. With all the scrutiny that's out there in the media right now, and I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, you should be always assuming that you know you're you're being recorded. I mean, most officers understand that because most people have body worn cameras or there's dash cams, and you know there's more there's more CCTV systems out there now than there ever was before. But when we talk about, you know, drawing the line, there's that, I mean, when you talk to, when you talk to all old officers that have been in or, or have, re, have retired or, you know, have been in for, you know, 20 years or so, you know, you always hear that, well, we did it different back in my, back in my day, we could, we could have done this. We could have taken them back behind the building and, and, you know, talk some sense into them and, and we would have gotten what we needed. Obviously that can't, that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, I'm sure it does happen, but it, there's so much more scrutiny behind using certain types of tactics. What are you seeing right now? Like what's the biggest change that you're seeing that officers have to adapt to? Well, one I think is uh, not so much relying on the, the technology as your end all be all technologies change police work. And I believe very much for the better. Uh, we used to have to, uh, if we had a suspect and we were able to identify him and we wanted to do a photo lineup, we literally had to go down to police headquarters uh, in downtown Chicago, request a photo, wait for a half hour, maybe if you were lucky, if it was a slow time, a half hour, to get a copy of that photo. Now people are doing everything digitally. They can do it remotely. Uh, you know, the, the little things that have changed in police work, a lot of them are for the better. But what I always tell police officers, don't just get so caught up in that technology that you're blinded by what's going on. And I'll give you a little analogy or a story. Years ago, uh, when uh, I was a younger police officer and even prior to me coming on, 
they they used to uh, they didn't want to put air conditioners in the police cars because they thought if they did it would uh, people cops would ride around with their windows up and they wouldn't be interacting with the community they wouldn't be able to hear what was going on around them and i think today a lot of cops if you watch them and i do watch them and i do travel they're they're so locked into that computer screen that's usually on the console there and they're tapping in stuff and doing things and even the, just the way they get jobs today you know, it's a lot of them come over their computer screens. They don't come over the radio. So it's just a matter of adjusting. You know, uh, I think uh, today's police are the most highly trained, uh, really the most scrutinized uh, police officers that we've ever had. Uh, but I think they, they're adapting very well. The only thing that I think uh, from my encounters with other officers all over the country is the fact that they feel really uh, – uh, betrayed by the uh, negative impact and negative uh, perception of police officers today. That's that right, and it's not fair, and it really uh, doesn't apply to 99% of the police officers. To, you know, to have that negative instant, you know, that here comes trouble, here comes. You know, it, we were always the good guys, and now they've kind of flipped the script and. They're turning cops, at least in the media and the news media especially, into somewhat of the bad guys. that We're doing something wrong trying to protect people, and we're not. One of the things that I was really interested um, in talking about on this topic is you have such a, a breadth of knowledge. Now, for, for those that don't know, uh, you have a book that you put out, uh, Chicago Street Cop, and it's true stories from, from basically your career. And, uh, I mean, you know, when people just tune into this episode, they would have heard my, my little spiel about who you are and, and what you do, but you have such a, you have such a in-depth knowledge and you've done so many different things, whether it's SWAT or, you know, working with the FBI, with the marshals and all those different types of things, undercover work. Can, is there any one example or one or two examples when we talk about drawing the line where you, you were put in a position where you were like, you either had to go, you either had to, you know, shit or get off the pot essentially and make one of those really hard decisions on, well, if I do this, I know I, I shouldn't be doing it, but I need to do it to, to either progress this investigation or to, to make the arrest or, or you, do you understand what I'm getting at here? Like what, is there any one example that really sticks out to you? About what you can do and what are the limits? Well, in all honesty, Adam, the, the, the limits are there for every case. It's just a matter of adjusting what parameters you can follow. I, I always recommend the, to police officers, always follow your department guidelines. Uh, always anticipate thinking ahead that what, what you're doing now is going to be discussed in an open courtroom, possibly in front of a judge or a jury. And how is that going to look? What that, and I would guide my actions by that. And we call it the reasonable person theory. Like I talked about a little bit earlier, a reason, what would a reasonable person, but really what would another reasonable police officer have done? Cause reasonable people don't realize what uh, challenges face police officers on every single call they go on. But uh, the, the reasonable cop would uh, was, is the theory that I would kind of present to people. What would a reasonable officer in this same situation feel was uh, appropriate, uh, felt that you were always staying within the guidelines of your agency, you know, always trying to, you know, treat people fairly, uh, respectfully, 
Uh, those were all just simple common things that they'd have never really changed. I mean, it's just uh, the, what what's changed today is the uh, I think the young younger police officers they don't know about what used to go on in police work. Some good, some bad, uh, but uh, they've really stepped up, and I really believe that, and it's it's comforting to see. I'm just sad that the public doesn't realize the dedicated men and women all over the world who go out there every day to honestly do this job and, and do the job they signed up for. And that is to protect the public. And that's saying on a lot of squad cars around the country and out of the country is that we serve and protect and we do. And I, I see cops take a lot of pride in that, but when you're constantly getting beaten, beaten down these days, it makes you second guess. And I think that to me is really, uh, a bad uh, move forward sign of the times where, you know, police officers are so scared, uh, so uh, worried about the scrutiny that they're coming under. If you look at it from a reasonable police officer's perspective, you know, what would a reasonable cop do in this situation? I think it'll carry you through. And if you keep that in mind, and like I said earlier, I know I'm repeating myself a little bit, but I'm going to have to stand in front of a judge or jury in an co open courtroom and explain my actions. Would I feel comfortable explaining the actions I took in this call or would I feel uncomfortable? And, uh, you know, it's pretty simple, but it's pretty complicated at the same time. There's so many different things with that, too. I mean, it, it, like you said, it depends on, you know, what exactly you're doing, what type of investigation it is. It's completely different if you're working, you know, uh, a gang's investigation, you know, versus some type of white collar investigation. So when, when we talk about things like, you know, gang work, undercover work and stuff like that, which I know you, that's kind of your bread and butter, what advice would you give to officers now that are getting into those types of units or to the instructors that are teaching them or guiding them when they do get into those units? Well, I, I look at police work from a, 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 a big approach, and I think a lot of times cops just zero in on one aspect of the job when in, re in reality you want to become a, a, a student of all the different aspects of police work. And uh, what I teach in my training seminar, Street Crimes, is I'm a big believer that the more police officers know about all the different aspects of police work, from whether you know you're uh, pushing a beat car in a city, whether you're working a, a, a scout car, a patrol car out in a smaller jurisdiction, you now it's basically the same stuff. Uh, it's it's going out there and trying to make contacts uh, out in your community. Uh, I'm a big believer in uh, you know having the right attitude and mindset. It really it really all starts with that, Adam, and it, tr it truly does. If you go out there with the bad attitude, uh, you know, it's, it's, your job's going to be tougher. It's going to be more stressful. Uh, if you always keep in mind what you uh, signed up uh, to do this job for, and that was to go out there and, and serve the public. And uh, we really are public servants. And uh, always evaluate what you're doing. Uh, don't just be uh, happy with, you know, not learning on this job. Uh, every profession, I believe, should learn throughout their uh, careers and their profession of how to get better at what you're doing. Don't uh, dig your heels in and say, hey, I, I got this figured out. I don't want change. Uh, we all need to adjust. We all need to make changes. And, and 
different times require different uh, changes. People are all anxious today. They're, you know, people uh, are a lot more agitated when the police show up than they ever used to be. Uh, and, and again, the officers are adjusting very well. It's pretty amazing uh, to see uh, how police officers today, still in the face of all the bad scrutiny and all the bad press, you know, as crazy as it is, Adam, uh, the American Medical Association uh, puts out yearly stats about uh, how many people have died because of medical malpractice. And you can look it up. It's over 250,000 people a year die from medical malpractice. Well, they don't put cameras on doctors, school teachers. Uh, they're teaching our kids. They're building our futures with, you know, what they're putting in these young kids' heads. And uh, they don't have cameras on them, you know. So it's, it's the, for cops to realize this is what I signed up for. This is part of the game. I'm going to try to learn as much about this job as I possibly can. I'm going to always remind myself throughout my career why I became a police officer. And, you know, it's, I'm probably dancing around a little bit more than I should, but it, it's really, it, it's such a hard thing to put your finger in because of the uh, just wide variety of situations, wide variety of incidents, the different personalities that police have to deal with uh, the different personalities when somebody's straight or you see them six hours later during your shift and they're bombed out of their minds on some kind of drugs or alcohol or something. And it's, you're like dealing with a different person. So there's a lot of crazy nuances with being a cop that police officers have to accept, adjust, and understand that that's what they're going to be dealing with. Is there any resource that you can think of off the top of your mind that officers should be going to when it comes to getting the type of real world information of something that they're going to be dealing with when they're out on these types of calls, when they, when they do have to interact with, with the public and, and dealing with, you know, like you said, changing circumstances all the time. Um, I mean, you've had, you've had such a long career has, have the, have the resources changed and, and how have they changed? So what do you think right now is the best, the best thing for officers to be doing? Well, always, and it should have been always been the way you treat people right, you treat people fair. You treat people as if somebody in your family was in that same situation. How would you want to be talked to? How would you want to be treated? And I think a lot of times that we have this mindset that we become too authoritative. We don't, we become too robotic and we don't really become real people. We take on this role as that, uh, you know, I'm the police, I'm wearing this uniform, therefore I'm going to act differently. And I really believe that, you know, being yourself when you're dealing with people, uh, it, it, you know, I'll try to think of an analogy or an example. Would, would you uh, give a, a nice tip to a waitress or waiter that was real gruff and short with you? Or if somebody that greeted you politely, pleasantly, and, you know, explained to you, hey, we're a little busy right now, but I'll be right back to take care of you. You know, that's how, you know, police officers have to think about that. We're going to be judged. Uh, and I have a great video in my training seminar of an ex-con. And he says that, you know, I could have gave the officer a lot of things, but the way they approached me, the way they kind of talked down to me, uh, just made me say, F this shit. I'm not going to tell this cop anything. And uh, Do your job. Just do what you have to do. I really believe a good cop is a good talker. And I believe it's something that any officer can learn. 
And uh, the resources, are the, the biggest resource for police officers out there are the fellow officers that you're working around and watching them throughout your career, learning from the best of the best, watching, and, and every department has them. They, you know, they have their uh, good officers. They have some mediocre officers. They have some maybe bad officers. I'd always key in on who was doing it right. And I always was fascinated watching the people around me because you're going to learn more from the people around you than almost anything you can really uh, pick up, you know, by reading a book or by, you know, maybe going to a training program. I think training programs are great. That's why I've been in the business for 25 years. I uh, enjoy sharing my experiences because I like police officers to learn from some of the things that were uh, that I observed and what I did that turned out great. And then I like to tell them the other side too. Some of the things that I did or I saw other officers do that didn't work out so well. And that's really a big part of, you know, getting to be better. And, and that's what I train caps to do, to be a more professional and more effective and a safer officer. I couldn't agree with you more when you say, you know, how you approach somebody at the outset of, of any type of incident is, is really going to be the, the indicator on, on how that's going to progress. Now, obviously there's going to be times where it doesn't matter how good of a talker you are, how well you can communicate. I mean, sometimes people's minds are made up or there's some type of mental health issue or intoxication or something, some underlying issue that's going to make that impossible. But I know one of the things that I've always done when I, when I teach guys is, you know, when you walk up to somebody, it, if if you walk up there and you start and you start treating them like an asshole or you're acting like an asshole, I mean, you're you're putting yourself behind the eight ball right from the get go and you're not doing yourself any favors. And I think that plays a lot to what you'd said there with that example of, you know, if if there's cons, ex-cons out there or, you know, guys that are out on the street, they have they have positive and negative interactions with with police officers on a daily basis sometimes. Can we talk a bit about building rapport with with the people that you're interacting with, with the criminals? Because I think that's something that can be overlooked. It's not just a us versus them. It's a you can. And I'm sure in your career, there have been times where you've utilized people on the street that sometimes some people may have dismissed, but you've gotten relevant or actionable information from them. So can we can I ask you how how do you go about developing those types of relationships? I would say the biggest thing, Adam, is to be yourself and uh, to treat people like I said. It's simple, but it's treat people like you know they're no, we're no better than anybody else. And I always tell people I grew up with a lot of sketchy people. Uh, I went to just five years of high school, three high schools. It's not something I'm proud of, but it was something that just in my neighborhood where I grew up in Chicago. You, you know, you either became a cop, a firefighter, or a friggin' burglar. And that just was like the guys I hung out with growing up. And uh, you, you have to understand there's a lot of bad things that happen to good people. And so I really stress the ethical treatment of people. Uh, we don't, it's, it's easy to tend to look down at people. And, and, and when you're getting beat up all the time, as far as not, not I'm talking physically, but verbally and, you're seeing people at the worst times in their lives and the worst situations in their lives. You're seeing some of the most violent. We don't deal with 
we do deal with nice people, but our main stay is, you know, going after the bad guys, the people that aren't the normal citizens. And sometimes a lot of cops forget about that, that when you're dealing with people, you know, you got to let them start out that this is a good person and I'm going to treat this person as a good person until this thing is going south on me and this guy needs to be, you know, uh, corralled, uh, you know, controlled. Uh, we we don't, can't let things get out of hand, but you always start from an understanding attitude, a friendly attitude. And I teach cops, uh, you know, even there's nothing wrong with introducing yourself with your first name. And I'd walk up to gangbangers and I, my big, most, a big part of my career was dealing with gang members, uh, almost any, every aspect of the things that I've been able to do as a cop centered around gangs and drugs. Those are the two mainstays of uh, almost every law enforcement agency. Uh, those are the ones that are going to cause you the most grief. Those are, those are the areas, the gangs and the drugs that are going to get cops in the most trouble. Uh, so you, you really always have to concentrate on, you know, doing the right thing. I mean, it sounds simple, uh, but always, you know, be judging yourself. And after you have an, an interaction with somebody on the street, you know, go back and analyze it. Think about it. Talk about it even with other officers. You know, hey, this is what happened to me. And, you know, I, I don't know, you know, maybe everything seemed to be going right. And then all of a sudden I'm rolling on the ground with the guy. Maybe it was something you said. Maybe it was, you know, something that you didn't say that you could have said that would have avoided you getting to that point of where you have to escalate things into you know, a physical, try to uh, take in custody somebody. And I always gave people a chance, and I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. Uh, the biggest tool you have on the street is your attitude and your mouth. What comes out of your mouth, and just like, uh, you know, we size up the people we deal with, they're sizing us up also. They're making judgments on our attitude. They're making judgments on our competency. They're making attitude or judgments on, you know, how does this cap look just through your appearance? And it's, it's a famous uh, picture in a lot of academies. They'll show, you know, somebody that looks like they walked out of central casting with the department aid or the agency's uniform on. And they show a picture of somebody that's all squared away, which you should be. And uh, they'll say, does your appearance command respect? Well, and today it's not only does your appearance command respect, does your attitude command respect? Are you showing respect to people that you're expecting to get that respect back. So it's a constantly changing and evolving uh, situation where whenever you're on calls, you got to get out of that robotic stage and start dealing with things at, just as they're going and learning, you know, the signs of how this thing is going south on me. And I got to bring it back to a calmer situation or I, I would used to put my hand up in people's faces. They'd get out of the car and start wolfing or talking shit. I'd put my hand up, hey, listen, my friend, I don't know you and you don't know me. You know, if you get out of that car and treat me like that, I'm going to have to treat you the same way back. I'd like to think that you're just having a bad day, but I'm not having a real good day either. So let's start over, my friend. Let's start over from square one. And a lot of cops don't want to ever you know, step back a little bit. They don't want to seem weak in front of other officers. And to me, I believe, you know, uh, again, back to the term de-escalation. Good cops have been de-escalating things throughout their careers. That's what police do and in so many different situations. 
Absolutely. I had a really interesting conversation with a, with a negotiator. Uh, his name's Dan Oblinger. And we, one of the things that we talked about, well, the conversation was mostly communication, but one of the things that I always brought up was using tactical empathy. And, and by that, we mean, like, like you said, there's a lot of times where you don't want to take that step back or give back any ground um, as the, as the authoritative figure, as the, as the officer. And it, you know, there are times and there is a place to understand that you can get a lot farther and, and there's a lot of different ways to get what you want, not just by bulldozing your way through every single encounter. Um, you know, it'll in, in certain aspects and in certain parts of policing, obviously that's, that's going to be a, a good part of it, right? If you're, if you're on a attack team and you have to clear a building, well, there's, there's really no other place to go, but forward. Yes. But if you're, if you're, if you're working through and you're you're in the middle of trying to work through an investigation or or work with people and get information or, or gain information from other people, sometimes there has to be that give and take. And like you had said, why is that so difficult for for people and, and for officers, people in general, but for officers to to do that, to, to have that where they can give a little bit rather than just trying to bulldoze their way through all of these interactions? Yes. And it's so important, Adam. And it really honestly is. And it, it could mean escalating a situation where you're fighting for your life or getting that person into a situation where, you know, hey, I got nothing against you, buddy. I know how hard it is to live in these conditions. I was young once. I know it's that fun to get stopped by the police, but we're going to go through this. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. I just want to make sure that everything's cool. And you'll be on your way in a minute. And, and just explaining that to you, people. I mean, I, as crazy as it sounds, Adam, I, I've worked with cops that, you know, uh, guy, I worked with one cop. I won't say cops. And it's rare. But in, in the days before video and audio recording, uh, what'd you stop me for? I had one cop tell him because we're the fucking police and that's what we do. <laughs> Where are you going with that? You know, or, hey, come here a minute. Come here a minute, asshole. I got to talk to you. Where are you going with that? And I mean, it sounds insane that somebody would start that way. But the biggest thing, I don't think that in the academies, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that when I came on the job, which was quite a while ago, uh, they used to tell you, forget all that bullshit you learned in the academy. You're in the real world now. Well, it wasn't bullshit that they taught you. It was it was a, a, a an outline of how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to do. Uh, you know, they, they can't, they couldn't give you every nuance of any, every situation you're going to come in contact with. For example, you go into a domestic call, you know, you got to make an, uh, and I call it, you play psychological chess. That's exactly what police officers do throughout their career. They're playing psychological chess with people. And your job is not to, uh, show people you can overpower them or you have uh, control or authority over them. Your, your goal is should be to uh, explain to people in a way where it's not going to be, a you know, uh, I'm the boss and you're the typical, like I say in my training manual, you're the enemy, you're going to be treated like the enemy and that's the way it is, you know. And, and if cops took that approach that, you know, every step I make today – I'm going to, you know, do my best. I'm going to be as professional as I can. And I'm going to try to win people over. And it's just simple shooting the shit with people and not just being, 
we, we get too, we, we don't spend the time with people that it takes. You know, for example, you got a, a new guy in your town that you've seen or city, and he's some homeless guy that's been hanging around this area. There's no reason you can't pull up and just ask him some questions. Uh, hey, how you doing? My name's Pat. What's your name? I used to, cops used to get offended when I would introduce myself as Pat. Well, that's my friggin' name. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, our, we become too distant. And another problem today, Adam, is the, uh, the I call it the steel cocoon. And that's the squad car. The squad car kind of distances us from uh, the people that we have to deal with. And it's something that you could, you know, change by just getting out and talking to people. And I preach that heavy duty in my training seminar, just getting out and talking to people. Uh, people are not going to uh, call you uh, and, and give you information if they don't like you or trust you. And that's why it's so important that we build good relationships uh, nonstop. You know, and we really try to do that on every call we make. We deal with the same people over and over again. In, in most areas of police work, we're not dealing with, we're do, dealing with a small percentage of the people, no matter how high crime of an area you're working in. And I work, for example, I worked Cabrini Green Housing Projects when I was a special operations officer. It was a 70 acre uh, plot of land that had a bunch of high rises and low rise buildings. We averaged 100 murders a year there in that 70 acres, 100 murders a year and, that would, and countless shootings. But there was what a lot of cops would forget is that, you know, this, these are everybody's not the enemy. There's a lot of people living in these uncertain, unfortunate circumstances that, you know, they're stuck. And, and the gangbangers used to take over these buildings and they would run the show. And, you, you know, there's a fine line with, you know, studying people, uh, learning how to interact with people. And I think cops need more of that type of training, more of that. I'm not going to take this personal I'm going to treat your rights fair, and when I can, I'm going to de-escalate. If I have to take you to custody, you know, I got to do what I have to do. And if you fight, you're going to have a problem. You know, there's it's really interesting to me. There's so many different components to that. Where's right now when you're when you're running your training courses, and I know you cover a lot of different topics, but in in regards to this, when you're running your training courses, what what are some of the things that you always bring up with the with the officers well one uh i'm a big believer in officer safety uh don't ever through and here's the thing with what happens with i think police is that over the course of time that you you see the the rookies on the job that they want to suck up everything they want to learn everything and then you get the guys or girls when i say guys i mean girls too females too uh we get into the attitude of uh, i've been on five years i got this figured out and then they get the 10-year cops that have really figured it all out you know and and the, the higher the longer you go on this job one the more it can beat you down uh nobody sees life's ugliness and sadness as much as the police and it's just really the truth and you have to keep your mind right you have to always be telling yourself I can only imagine it would be like a baseball player. You know, they get into a slump and all of a sudden they can't uh, get a hit. They go up to the plate and they start doubting themselves. They start letting that uh, doubt creep into their minds that, you know, you know, I struck out last time. I struck out last time. You treat every incident as a new incident. Be able to brush the bad stuff off that you've had to deal with. 
uh, and don't hold it against people as you're going through your day. You might you might start out your day at a domestic that's dirty, ugly, and you know just a real bummer, and uh, you know, and then the next thing you're going to be dealing with some poor woman who just got punched in the face and somebody took her purse. Well, you're you're going to have to deal with people in so many different uh, situations and, and, and not understanding from their perspective. I think that's another big problem, Adam, that a lot of times isn't talked about enough. Put yourself in these people's shoes. How would you be viewing what they're seeing that, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's a fine line and it's a fine dance that, you know, police officers have to do. And it's, it's not easy and it's not for everybody, but, I would highly recommend they learn. You got to learn how to talk to people. Nobody's asking you to dunk a basketball. Nobody's asking you to create a uh, computer program. We're asking you to sharpen up your people, person-to-person skills. And uh, if I might add real quickly that uh, the uh, artificial intelligence, all the communication skills, all the uh, uh, equipment that they give you today to be the police is a wonderful thing, and it's a great tool but you still have to keep your human to human contacts, your people to people interactions at the best level they can be. And that's where there's an understanding between you and the people you're dealing with. And uh, they know, uh, you know, you're, you're a professional. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and gravel to you, but I'm not going to just be mean and treat you disrespectful either because you did some stupid shit that really aggravates me. I got to take it to a level where, you know, I understand people do stuff like this, but it's not allowed. This and you, I think explaining what you're doing, what you're thinking, how you're approaching things to the bad guys or the suspects or witnesses, whoever you're dealing with. I think the biggest thing is explaining why you're doing it and what you're doing. Take the time. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is basically it's really interesting because what I'm basically hearing you say is take it back to the basics. And- oh, always, always. Yeah. And it's 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 interesting for if you're listening to this and and you haven't had a chance to to go through the the show notes page and 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 read Pat's bio and stuff. I mean, you have such an extensive uh, experience that it's it's interesting to hear somebody instead of going saying like, "Hey, here's a really cool trick or tip to do this," or "Here's how you would get this information or that." You're saying, "Hey, listen, it it starts from the square one." For it doesn't matter what part of your career you're in, what unit you're in. What you're doing as an officer, you always have to take it back to those basics and make sure that you're squared away there first before any of the other stuff happens. So that's 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 really what I've taken from this. I think that's that's important to point out. Yes, and it, it's exact. It's the truth, and it's. I always tell uh, my classes that I teach, and I have my instructors say the same thing. Uh, baseball players been playing baseball since they were little kids, could barely walk. Now they're pros. What do they do every year? They go to summer camp. They go to spring trainings. Uh, football players do the same thing. They go back to the basics, the fundamentals. We will never get away from utilizing the basics. And if you don't constantly utilize the framework of basic fundamental law enforcement skills, you're going to have a problem throughout your career. And if you go out there with a bad attitude every day, you know, I worked with a partner, you know, Everybody was an asshole, and and every everything was bullshit. And I mean, I, and I told him one day I'm gonna have to get you a dentist appointment, and he said, "For what?" I go, well, "You sit here with me every day talking like you got a toothache or something." 
you know, and it was so disheartening to me because I, I believe I'm a big believer in your attitude and your attitude is everything. And I, again, I used the analogy earlier. I won't do it again, but if a waiter or waitress, boom, doesn't treat you right, would you buy a car from a, a car salesman that treated you like shit? And people uh, shouldn't have to take, you know, a, a bad attitude or uh, some cop because he's mad because of maybe, you know, getting a divorce, getting uh, anything, uh, you know, his kid screwed up or w- whatever the situation might be. We got to clear our minds when we go out on the street. We got every day make sure that we put that baggage from, uh, you know, maybe a couple bad days we had with shootings or, you know, a terrible murder or a suicide, bad car wreck. We got to be able to put that stuff in, in a, a place in our minds where it's not going to affect how we move forward dealing with other situations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great place to leave that too. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many different things that we can do um, when it comes to training and it comes to improving ourselves. But like you said, it doesn't matter if you're in the sports world um, or anything else in policing, military, everything. I mean, learn it. All those basics are super, super important. And, and communication has to be, has to be right up there at close to the top, if not the top. So, um, yes. Listen, it, it, it is a top, Adam, and communication skills. That is, and again, it's not you're not asking anybody to do anything that's physically impossible. You know, you're asking them to sharpen their people skills, interpersonal skills. In my, <laughs> in my mind, though, I think I think you'll agree that the you know what there we could say that probably the vast majority of people are able to do that, but we all know that one or two people that there's there's oh. no amount of <laughs> yes. coaching or training. Um, that's going to get them to, to change the way they do business. So um, once you, uh, once you can recognize that, I think you'll be all right. Yeah. And, and hang with the good caps, uh, learn from the good caps and learn from the bad caps too. learn what not to do. <laughs> it's not always learning what to do. Sometimes it's learning what not to do. Watching other officers take a scene that could have been handled. And all of a sudden it, it turns into a, you know, a big brawl on the street or, you know, you, and it's a fine line, Adam, and it's and and not everybody is real, real good at it, but they can get better at it. And I encourage that, and I do teach that. Let's let's talk about your book for a second. What um, what brought about you writing this book and and putting all of the stuff that because there's there's a lot of information. There's a lot of you really went into depth about a lot of your personal experiences in that. What what brought that out of you? Why did you want to put that book together? Well, uh, throughout my career, people always told me, you have to write a book, you have to write a book. And I mean, I was lucky growing up uh, when I went to uh, high school and I was, I always said I wasn't real a bad kid. I was just having too much fun. And they didn't, you know, they didn't accept that back then. So I, I had experiences with going to different schools and seeing how different people act. And as a police officer, I was always very into the job. It was something that I wanted to do since I was a little kid. I used to watch my father uh, uh, suit up and go to work. And as a young kid looking out the window, watching my dad drive away and go off into the wild blue yonder, not knowing who he's going to help, who he's going to deal with. That always fascinated me. And when I got into police work, I was lucky enough to have a lot of experiences. I was in special apps. I was on uh, the SWAT team. I had so many different aspects. And uh, then when I went undercover, then I, re- I did five years undercover uh, buying drugs and guns from gang members throughout the city. 
and even sometimes in the suburban areas around the city. But I only dealt with gang members. But everybody was, people were fascinated with that. And uh, my undercover photo was the uh, cover of my book. And people always ask me, what is the scariest thing you ever did? Uh, what is the most important thing? And, and you know, I, people, people are really interested in police work. And when you do it uh, at a level that I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to do, uh, it really, uh, they're, they're interested. They're very, very interested in uh, hearing the stories. And my son was a big factor. Uh, Dad, you know, you, and he's a 10-year cap now, but he's told me, Dad, you know, uh, the your book could be bigger than the seminar, which I'm so proud of my training seminar over 100 cities a year. But uh, my son pressed me, uh, uh, friends that I've known and of all my life, not, non-police friends mostly. Was, every cop knows they have a book in them, and they do. You know, they honestly do. But it's uh, it was something that people always told me I should do. And then when I started thinking about uh what, what the craziest things and the crazy things that I was lucky to be involved in, I was finding it pretty fascinating myself. And when I started writing my transcript of my book down, I had, I had my wife, Gail, take a look at it. And she looked at me and said, you did all this? And she's been with me throughout. You know, So people are fascinated with police work. They always have been. And it just was something, one, I was very proud of what I've done. Uh, and two, uh, people always ask me to tell stories and, you know, uh, so I just was, I don't know if I felt like it was almost uh, kind of a release also. And it, it's pretty cool to be able to document something that I loved more than anything, the job I would have never left. I, you know, because of my training program, I had to leave. I didn't have to leave. I retired a little earlier than I normally would have thought I was going to go to, but uh I've been very blessed and people, like I said, they had been breaking it down to one thing that people always said I had a very unique story and I tried to tell it in my own words in a first person account. And it really does get rave reviews. Yeah. I mean, I, if you ask anybody who knows me, I don't do a lot of reading other than, other than uh, textbooks and stuff like that. But you know, like I told you, I mean, I read your book through cover to cover. I found it super interesting. I was, I was, I enjoyed the entire thing. So, um, I mean, if you haven't uh, had a chance to check out the book, make sure you go and do that. And I'm the links will make sure that are on the, on the show notes and on the, on the episode page as well. But one other thing that you do do, like you had just mentioned there is you, you run a seminar and you do it around the U S and uh, it's on street crimes. And can you give us a bit, if somebody wanted to, to bring you in or, or run your seminar and have you come and speak, what, what exactly can they expect? Uh, they can expect the truth. They can expect to hear it from somebody who's been there and done that. Uh, I have uh, photos uh, throughout the training seminar, videos throughout the training seminar that uh, uh, show people the proper way of doing things. I started a small production company and I produce my own training videos, high quality. Uh, if anybody's interested in just checking out uh, just a quick glimpse of it, they could go to my website, uh, streetcrimes.com. And once again, that's streetcrimes.com. And there's a trailer in the opening and the very uh, homepage of my uh, uh, website, streetcrimes.com. And they could click on that and they'll see I've, worked very hard at giving police officers the best information I possibly can. Three days is packed with 
uh, information that you won't get anywhere else. And uh, it's taught. I have four other instructors. Every one of them has over 25 years of actual experience in doing the things that we teach, which is a big part of uh, winning people over at a training seminar. We get 99% excellent or very good ratings anywhere we go, anywhere we go. And we make it fun. We make it fun and interesting. And uh, believe it or not, cops want to learn how to get better at what they do. And after three days of street crimes, they're going to be much better, uh, not only effectively, but safely on the street. I love it. And so if you, again, if you didn't catch that, if you go to streetcrimes.com, I believe you also have another website, chicagostreetcop.com. And uh, that's where they can go to get a hold of you if they want to contact you directly and and get you guys to come down and speak at their agency or, or just get more information about what you're doing and access to the book. Listen, Pat, I'm I'm honored to, that you came on the show, man, and thank you so much for being here. All right, Adam, anytime, and I truly appreciate what you do. Information is the key. Staying connected with people and and you know really sharing information with people. That's what it's all about. Right on, brother. Well, I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you very soon. All right, take care, Adam. Thank you. All right, that wraps up another episode here on Tactical Breakdown. If you like what you're hearing, if you're enjoying the content and finding it actionable and useful, consider subscribing to the podcast. You're going to stay up to date on all of the current events with law enforcement training around the world. And if you haven't already heard about the International Law Enforcement Training Summit, you need to jump over to ILETSummit.com. Check that out. The live version is done and gone. That took place in July 2020. But you have the ability to get lifetime access to all of the training that's been developed for a very, very, very low price. Make sure to use the promo code BREAKDOWN to save even more. Check that out at ILETSummit.com. Thanks again for being here with us at the Tactical Breakdown. And until next time, stay safe. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.